and it's time for another episode of Customers Who Click. Today I'm joined by Sully, the founder of BombTech Golf and Ecom Growers, an email marketing agency. Sully grew BombTech Golf to seven figures with just zero full-time employees and attributes a lot of that success to his email marketing strategy, which you'll hear more about soon. I'm a massive fan of email marketing, always have been, always will be. And despite recent changes to the industry, it's still not going anywhere. You've just got to be smarter with how you use it. Fortunately, Sully's got some great tips. So let's hear from him now. Hi, Sully. Thanks for joining me today. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, um, and what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, so I'm an accidental entrepreneur. Uh, started in 2011, pre pre the selfie, pre Facebook ads. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, way, way back, even kind of before Shopify was as easy as it is today. And I essentially was trying to become uh, or win the world long drive contest, which is like home run derby of golf. And in my quest to hit the ball as hard as I could, I ended up becoming obsessed with golf and golf drivers specifically and designing them. Were you a golf player before or was that just something you randomly decided to get into? No, I I played up growing golf and used to be, I would, I would say a good golfer uh, in high school, you know, state qualifier and, and, you know, used to play well. And then I didn't play at all in college, played rugby and, you know, went a different direction and just skied all winter. It was sports wise. And then my buddy was like, Hey, I'm going to this local, uh, long drive event. You want to come? And I used to play golf in high school. I was like, sure. And he gave me a club. Uh, and I, he didn't qualify, but I did. Okay. <laughs> And, and that became this obsession where I just, I would go to the drive range every day. It wrecked my golf swing, wrecked my back, but it, it taught me a lot about materials, product. And essentially I had this local club builder building me these really special products, drivers, and I broke all of them, not from pure power, but from his inability to assemble them. So I just started making my own, assembling them my own. Um, I talked to a buddy at UVM where I went to college. I was like, dude, you know, I kind of want to design my own club. He's like, you're not that smart. Like, you're not wrong. <laughs> and so I worked with a group of students for a year and we designed our first ever bomb tech dual cavity driver. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I just said, let's make them. So I cashed them my 401k, uh, made them. And to take a step back, I had documented this whole journey on Facebook early days. Okay. And that and that process of just like literally saying, "Hey, I've designed this club. What color do you want? What shaft do you want? What do you play now?" I had a small following, but when I launched the product, they were ready to buy, um, which was kind of crazy. And I said, "Well, sold ten thousand dollars of clubs. Let's do more of that." And it took me down this journey, and I've been very fortunate. I've had have had many life epiphanies throughout the process, but this year, you know, we're gonna do like fifteen million in sales with two employees and I don't work that much in the business. And I have another business I was able to start as well. So crazy journey, uh, unexpected one. And and here I am now. Sweet. Sounds pretty good. So how, how far can you drive? Now I hit it short, but straight. Um, so I, I now I play what I call regular golf. So I, I, I like to hit it 260 in the middle because I used to hit it three, 350 in the woods. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm probably more like the, 250 can go anywhere at the moment uh i need, I need to get back into it um it's fun cool so um obviously you said you've grown it to like 15 million a year which is incredible uh have you got any particular like, a particular area you focused on that you've seen work really well 
Yeah. So in terms of scale, I mean, it's so different now than when I first started. And really, I think what I've done, again, just because I had to, was I documented my journey, brought people along for the ride, engaged with them on social. Facebook was our biggest channel, still is. And really doing all that legwork, content for years, talking to people for years, like even in forums, like before Facebook groups, um, allowed me once Facebook ads were like a thing and Google ads, like we were able to start scaling, you know what I mean? So we started scaling and then really after a year, like four or five, or I think four, I, I ended up hiring experts in certain areas like e email, ads, fulfillment center, CRO, and really just bringing in people better than myself. And that's when the scale, you know, really hit. And we still have a ton of scale left. Um, and I've been the bottleneck in, in the growth a little just because of how I wanted to run as a lifestyle business and not just go for pure growth. So this year, I'm kind of you know, I said, all right, let's go bigger. So this year we ordered millions and millions of inventory um, and we're proving that concept up. So we're doing, you know, 1.2 to 1.5 million a month right now. And we're shooting to do 3 million a month starting next month. Um, and a lot has happened to do that, but we just spent a lot profitably and have a good back end to sell to people again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned, uh, yeah, selling to people again. So is that kind of email? Is that... Um like what's your approach to well repeat business yeah i think it's it's difficult in our space to resell hard goods right so a re, high repeat order rate is extremely difficult because it's not like you if you buy a website you don't need to buy another website yeah <laughs> so it's it's a very difficult business to get into and, and run because you have to have lots of not a lot of SKUs, but to sell them more stuff you need to have other SKUs. you can't you're not just a consumable or repeat order business or change the design like apparel brand or something where you can launch all the time and it's hard to launch and design new products so um so we think about repeat just with like insane customer service where we'll do anything for them we do a lot of things like thank you voicemails thank you handwritten cards thank you videos facebook group uh, etc. But email and doing email in a engaging way is really the best way for us to sell to them again. And that's our true asset. Like if someone were to buy BombTech, you know, they're not just buying the cash flow and the EBITDA. They would buy the email list, the customer list, you know, all the assets we own. And I think that's a hard, there's a lot of people that are new to e-com now. And, you know, that's really how you have to think of it. You got to flip it. It's like, yeah, Facebook ads is may drive some daily revenue but that's just front end it's not the it's not the real business you know yeah yeah if someone bought the business what are they what are they really getting um is it literally just like the stock and the staff but everything else they're gonna have to f figure out themselves or is there that that audience there yeah i'm a big fan of the the kind of one-to-one -one personalization stuff you know the the uh, voice notes or videos or postcards and things i've, I've had a lot of success with postcards before Yep. Um, but let's talk to me about this, um, the like engaging content in emails. Cause you know, you mentioned obviously if someone's bought a driver, they don't need another one. Um, yep. they might buy one of the different like woods or whatever, like gradients and stuff, but yeah, there's only so much you can sell. So what is, what, what can you talk us through a bit of that approach to engaging email? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're always working on it. You know, we've got like our core 80, 20 rule where we have like, a cadence of when we send, how we send, and what we send. And then, you know, at the end of the day, 
we want email to drive revenue, but we want to have people opening, clicking, and engaging. So like my my core thesis is <clears throat> I try to take the same approach with social as I do with email, which is ask questions, engage, get their feedback, and make them feel part of the journey. Because like when I first started 2012, that's all I did because I needed their info to, to even build the first product. So I take I took that same approach and still do an email. So like if we have a golf club we're designing, I may throw two pictures up and say A or B, right? Like a super simple thing where they could reply back. Or, you know, we do just a ton of like, hey, reply back with this or like reply back with your opinion. Uh, again, not always it's this or that, but like we have a hybrid, what are we going to launch? So 64 degree or chipper. We actually are making both. Uh, but we, I was like, well, let's see what people want. And I had one preconceived notion of what I thought they would want. And this is, this is always the most interesting part. I think ego is the hardest thing to get out of your own way as an entrepreneur. Cause like, Hey, I started this, this is mine. Like I'm the best. You, you need to just remove that thought completely. Cause you're not, um, it's your customer that matters. So we were just asked like, Hey, and I thought 64 would be more replies than chipper. And the chipper was like 10 X replies. <laughs> Oh, so, okay. so we say, hey, do you want a 64 chipper next? And everyone's like, chipper, chipper, chipper. Like, okay. So that also gives us useful data to then launch new products. You know, micro testing, micro information in terms of all right, what do people actually say they want? And then let's test it. So that's just like has been a core of like the storytelling, the engaging. And we do the same, th same thing on social. Like most of our posts are like just to get engagement because that's how people want to use it. The one nice thing with email versus social you can mix in uh, selling into the engagement. And that's why for us, we look at it as our number one channel. Because we get we can engage, have fun, build brand, but then we can when we have an offer or something, they've only about one, we can cross sell them something else and they're more likely to take an action versus posting on social. That's that's the big thing that changed in 2016. I used to be able to do the same thing we did in email on social, but if I post social about a new product. Like I just did this. I, I don't do the content anymore on social, but we, we do all this, you know, engaging stuff. We'll get a hundred comments here, 20 shares, you know, 800 likes on our engagement posts. But then if we do a selling post, like, Hey, hybrids are in stock. One like, yeah. Um, so it's like, but in email, you can tell them, Hey, hybrids are back in stock and have action. So it's social. We kind of remove the selling completely outside of ads we've got engaging on organic and, and email is just it's kind of the best of both worlds because you don't need to pay to drive action you can do the same same things we do in ads without paying for that deployment of the ad yeah and i suppose uh, social probably drives sales anyway just on its own through that engagement you know more people see the posts people might engage with the post and then go well actually yeah i might as well go check out i'll, I'll go check out the store while i've got five minutes spare um let's go have a look so yeah it probably drives a lot of uh lot of sales indirectly but yeah like email you've got people engaged um i suppose with the engagement stuff you're you're building that audience who actually want to hear from you as well so when they see that email drop into their inbox it's almost like you know they they look straight to you know it, it pops out in between everyone else they, they see that name and they go yeah cool that's the one i want to open you know i I know I do it with other brands. Um, there'll be like 50 emails unread uh, in just in the promotions bit. And uh, if there's a particular brand that I want to 
that I that I kind of like. If I see that in there, I just open that one. Oh yeah, it's and not only that, like just asking questions is useful for you as an owner or as a brand, and then it also does move you from promotions tabs to the inbox, you know, because Gmail or whoever uh, seems you as more relevant. You know what I mean? So it's there's a lot of reasons to do it, um, and email is one of those things where. I'm not saying e-com owners do it wrong, but they want to make it harder than it is and over-design it, over-complicate it, have a million calls to actions. Um, and we found as an email agency, you know, doing Clavio for e-com brands, that one call to action, simple copy and engaging, and then timing the offers is so much more effective. But it's it's almost like this struggle where like they want to have it on brand, look a certain way, make a million images, and it's like, that's not the right use of email. Like you can have some of those elements, but be native to the inbox. You know what I mean? It's like, if I send you an email, am I going to send you a newsletter with 50 call to actions? I'd be like, yo, Will, let's go golfing at two. Are you cool? It'd be plain text. So why not send what people are sending, which is native to that platform? You know what I mean? So that's, as a concept, one thing where we tend to have, I wouldn't say pushback, but just a discussion and, and we can do both. But those typically you know, tend to, tend to do really well. Yeah, I've, def- I've definitely seen it where, um, yeah, clients want to put just a bunch of products in it. You know, you'll try and create like quite a tailored email to to one specific call to action or product, and they want to add in a grid of products below it just because, I don't know if they fit, they're worried that they won't get the sales from that one push or whether it's like a best best practice thing and, they're seeing everyone do it. So they think, well, you know, everyone sticks a grid of products in. So that must generate sales for people. You know, if, if they're not interested in the one product we're pushing or like we're kind of talking about, they've at least got the option to, to click something else. But I think if you, even that, I mean, that's still better than a lot of what I see, which is kind of what you're talking about, which is you'll get like a promotion, then a blog, then some products, then some other products from a different category and you, you can be scrolling, you know, you scroll through this email on your mobile and it's just got so many different options for you. Yeah. You end up just kind of going, uh, nothing stands out or, yeah, you just kind of ignore it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the overly designed uh, struggle, you know, and it's just one of those where you want to make it more difficult because you can. And it doesn't mean that you're making it better, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because with things like like landing pages and yeah, well, landing pages, you tend to talk about like one action. You want people to take this one action and that will be, uh, you know, send an inquiry in or click sign up or add to basket, whatever. But for some reason that doesn't translate to email where people suddenly go, go uh, let's just hit them with everything. Um, yeah, it is, it is odd. I don't know what the... And I think that is what makes our job, I wouldn't say easier, but most accounts that we do audits on have, have so much opportunity, which is which is nice because like we rarely go into accounts and say, whoa, they have it dialed in. Usually it's just a ton of opportunity, very clear to show, hey, if you do, and this is what we tell people, like if you do this, this, and this, this is the outcome or what we expect to happen and we can do that for you, whatever. But so I think that's the interesting piece. And also the messaging is is key. You know what I mean? Like, that's half of it. It's the message, not the look and feel. And I think that's, you know, that's the brand battle. But like, it's funny. I have a CRO guy who's done a fantastic job for us. 
but he really touches design. Doesn't touch button colors, doesn't touch stuff. All he does is the messaging. And that for us has had the biggest impact. So we try to take that same philosophy with like, all right, what's the root reason people buy, don't buy, and throw those elements uh, into email. You know what I mean? The message is, is half of it. Yeah. Well, they they want to know that the product's going to solve that problem for them. Um, and that it's going to, and they, they're going to enjoy it. And it's going to, yeah, it's going to be a good purchase for them. Um, the design is secondary. Um, I think design is still important. You still need a, a site or at least a website that looks good. Um, there is kind of that that matter of trust. Uh, I think people tend to, you know, if you're looking at a website that looks like it was designed 10 years ago, um, you know, you, you might question that and it might might put you off a little bit. You can maybe balance out some other trust things like having loads of reviews on there. Um, yeah. See, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ugly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but having the right elements like that's that's the core is like do you have like we we i don't want to say all my secrets but you know the trust like we use quantity of unit soul reviews you know uh social posts that are that, w- that would consider our site maybe ugly <clears throat> but it's the it's the trust factor um that gets them and social proof that makes them know okay these guys are legit um so yeah i think there's there's a combo there that's like it's got to be clean enough sexy enough to know it's legit and they've invested in it, but also the elements are more important than the actual slickness, if that's a word, of the website. Because like when I first switched to Shopify, the website was really slick, clean, and, and conversion was the worst. When we started uh, interjecting what I would consider ugly elements, but were crucial, which was like the the like snippets from Facebook and different like testimonial things that would that really don't look that clean and great, but that's what people want. It makes it just more tangible, like this, which is again, CRO is a whole different topic, but like, um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be legit, you know, any, any way you cut it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just going back on these engagement emails quickly. Uh, um, so when people respond to them, do you kind of, do you follow up, follow up with those or is it more like, uh, you know, for example, when, when you ask people to vote on which club they want, do you take that in, do all your kind of work in the background, decide on what you want to produce, and then announce it and say, we listen to you, we're going to launch this product? Or do you actually kind of hit people in the middle as well and say, cool, thanks for the response, we're, um, we're looking into this? It depends uh, on what we're asking. So like, if, we, if we're getting 5,000 replies, we are going to do a blast follow-up blast say hey wow you guys voted and to our surprise it was the chipper um if it's something more reasonable you know we will fire back with reply we did do a test where we we replied back versus just waiting for the next blast and we did not see see a significant difference measurable difference in like revenue engagement or opens if we replied to them so so really the magic is just getting them to reply. But the, the thing that's unique about it, we still read every email because there'll be customer service issues or things they have questions about in there. And then that's where we jump in. So it's really more of a, a t- it's not a tactic. It's an overall strategy that gets people engaged. And if it opens up to a dialogue that they had questions like, hey, I've been thinking about this club or whatever, or I had a question about this that then gives our customer service team an opportunity to wow them. 
to then, you know, do that. So, so to answer your question, because that is one thing as a, a client to be like, well, I have to reply to all these. No, like we, we tell them delete them unless there's a, a, a need. Uh, but it does open up all these different pathways. And like, it's interesting when you start this conversation and get people to reply and you have a real conversation with the CS guys, you know, their likelihood to buy again is much higher, you know, because they're having real conversations, it's flowing, and it's not a shock when they get another email from BombTech. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are what some of the – I know you said uh, – so it's rare that you go into an account, have a look at it, and they're, they're absolutely smashing it. Uh, what, what are the biggest or most common mistakes you see where you're thinking this is – you know, you need to stop doing this. This is messing things up or or maybe just missing out massively. Yeah, I think it's it's overly designed emails, blasting and not segmenting properly, and then just sending content that's too offer-driven and we see a consistent decline in opens and clicks. So like we see trends that it's the, the email list is becoming unhealthy. So if we see any of those trends, like if we see that happening, the revenue percent low, overly designed emails, not consistent sending, like those are all triggers that we know it's a good opportunity. And, you know, we have an audit process we go through, but overall it's like those four or five things that are very common. And I think it just comes from, for some reason, a lack of education of how to really use email. And I think the first thing we do out of the gate is just get them on a schedule that works. Like here's a month of calendar, we're going to build this out for the entire month. This is your send days, send times, and this is the type of emails we're going to send. Like that alone, out of anything we do just out of the gate, has such an impact because now you're sending consistently. Customers used to hearing from you. They know when they're going to get emails. And then we dial in, you know, the types of emails uh, to make them most effective. But again, that's just like, would seem simple, but I think a lot of even bigger brands, you know, we've got clients that are doing 30 million plus. And they may just be like, hey, I've got an idea for an email. And it's like, okay, well, what we do is we have a whole email. Can't We, we have to build this like a calendar. And if, if you have an idea, that's cool. We'll slot that in next month's calendar. So just getting people on a calendar that works for their brand, a cadence that works for their audience, mm-hmm. like that's phase one. And then just simplifying it to like less call to actions, phase two. And then phase three is like just segmenting properly to get better sends. Um, and then we do obviously... The last part of messaging, getting more opens, getting more clicks and make your list go from declining and less interest to going more, you know, uh, more parallel or up as your list grows. So it's, you know, a real asset that's, that's healthier um, because that's it's a it's a long game. Um, and I think trying to look at percent of revenue like daily from email, like I need the money from email. It's kind of a short sighted way to do it, although we're all trained to like, oh, my percent of email revenue is this. Um you know, it, it's it's part of what we do is drive more revenue from email, but it's also a longer term strategy that, you know, you don't want to burn your list, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, kind of like you were saying with uh, when people get in touch with customer service and have a chat with them, they're more likely to buy again. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of if people are engaging with the emails and they are they're enjoying receiving these emails, they will be more likely to convert at some point. Um, yeah, exactly. and repurchase. Um, what's, what sort of segmentation do you look at? Do you go like really hardcore on that with hundreds of segments or is it a handful of courses? Yeah, this is where I'll have to defer to the experts. So I, I don't do any of the in the weed stuff at this point. You know, I, 
we've got nine employees at the agency. So I just do high level strategy that tries to confuse everyone with new ideas. Um, but, but my partner, Chris at Ecom Growers truly is like, he's a strategist there. Um, I think from a basic level, he does the engagement tiers by opens, like who's the most engaged in terms of segments, just as like sending them first and so forth. Um, but I don't think it's that micro. I think it's it's more of a high level, like, all right, we want you to get into the inbox as much as we can. Therefore, we send out the VIPs, et cetera, first. But if you want to get super micro, we'd have to bring in the expert. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just the dumb owner of both companies <laughs> at this, this point. And I'm glad to have removed myself from the day to day. And that's the only way really I've found to scale any company is like, there's no way we could be doing million dollar months if I was in the weeds in Clavio in Facebook ads doing that stuff. Same with the agency. It's like, you know, we're doing seven figures there. And, you know, I, we just work on the high level stuff now. So we got the people, we have our process, but if I'm in the weeds, you know, that makes me a bottleneck, which is kind of maybe counterintuitive. Um, but that's where I'm at after 10 years of building and, and, and doing things, you know is more more owner less less operator yeah yeah i mean it's uh not a bad spot to be in is it uh, for you. yeah it's great i've been golfing um, a lot so yeah no i've i've, I've had that so i've had um like owners who are still a bit a little bit too hands-on um and kind of want to be involved in too many meetings um too, too many processes and and uh i think you mentioned it earlier like yeah, when you're an owner, you've got your your view of how things are, are done. You've got you know that brand and everything, and you you want to be a bit protective of it, maybe. Of course, um, and so, so that can come through a bit. Yeah, I think that is one of the struggles, and it's it's I hunt as a brand owner for ten years. I totally get it, and I think there's, I don't know if you could ever even tell an owner or myself included, like, hey, can you be more hands off? Because for me, it took life events. Like when I had my first kid. It was early startup. You know, I was assembling clubs myself, shipping myself, doing email, doing, I did every single aspect of business and the revenue was the lowest. And as it grew, I started delegating, revenue went up, my time went down. And it took me my second kid to figure out, and I took six weeks off before I had her, that, okay, I'm not as important as I thought I was because sales went up when I had my time off. And I realized, it's okay to let go if you've got the right people. So I think yeah. that's the thing with them. If you do hire an agency, you obviously want to be hands-on and, and control and, and have that brand. But I think there's a trust factor and how do you earn that trust of a new client? And that's something we've been working on diligently as like, all right, here, like being very clear with here's our process, here's deliverables, here's what you can expect. Uh, and it, we really have designed our email marketing and SMS to be hands-off. But we totally understand that there's going to be input from, you know, e-com brand owners because it's their baby. So I, we don't ever want to take that away. But they're, we typically find, because most of our clients stay on for, you know, we've got clients since we started, which is almost four years ago, three and a half, that have been on since day one, which is kind of insane from retention. Um, but we have to get over that, like we call it a 90-day hump, mm-hmm. where it's like, we know what we're doing, but our clients may not trust us yet, and that's okay. Um, but once we get beyond 90 days, even sometimes 60, they typically will hand that off from a owner founder to a marketing person in-house. And that's really when it becomes a, I wouldn't say healthy relationship, but 
you know, our goal is to save clients time, you know, save time, make more money, have more engaging emails. Like that's, that's the goal. Um, But it's hard to do that if they're so hands-on and like myself included, this is, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a new email. So I haven't made an email in like three years. It's like, I'm going to make an email. So I made an email for one of our flows and it's doing tremendously poor <laughs> because, because I'm not the expert anymore. And I've got the, the people that are better. And it just, that was a good reminder of myself. Like, okay, I should work on bigger lever opportunities um, that w- really will drive the business to, you know, nine figures and beyond versus the copy of one email. You know, and I think one work workaround with this is to have brand guidelines when you onboard a new client. Like, what can we talk about? What does the brand stand for? And do a, a deeper dive into that so that the, the emails feel how they want them to feel, which is a hard thing to make tangible, uh, but also get results. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes, makes sense, doesn't it? Um, that's, that's kind of what you want to get from the agency. And I suppose that, yeah like you said, that 90, 60 or 90 day period when the, the owner kind of backs off a little bit. Um, I guess maybe, I don't want to say takes the pressure off. Maybe that's not the way of putting it, but like, just, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's take the pressure off, but it, it makes things a bit easier for you. You can now kind of focus on what you're doing rather than making someone happy. It, it makes it easier for everyone. You know, the, the goals, and I think we've really focused on the agency side of transitioning our expectations or transitioning the business a little bit to really say it's hands off. You know, before I think we were we were high touch, hands on to a fault. Um, and a lot of when you're too high touch, too hands on, you can actually sometimes hinder results. So we found that we wanted to set up in such a way that reduces time from client and increases results. So we're, we're feeling much better about like, and that also allows us to scale up. You know, we've got like 40 clients now. We're trying to get to 160. Um, there's no way to do that if you're super high touch, hands-on. And there, we found that there's so much back and forth that you can invite that actually doesn't drive better results. It just invites conversation. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that took us a while to say, okay, this is the expectation of conversation. This is what the goal of a meeting would be. Um, and this is how you approve things. So that that's a that's a that's the difference between running an econ brand and an agency model, which is service based. And it's been kind of interesting to take my econ approach and mindset with scale and automation to a people based business. And it, you know, at Chris, I'm specifically not in the day to day, so he comes to me with his day to day like struggles, and I just kind of say, okay, do we need to do that? Can we automate that? Um, you know, or or delegate that, and, and that's why we work kind of yin and yang on that company and we've been able to scale that up. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, going back to kind of the, the email and the actual marketing stuff, I suppose. Um, have you, have you used many other channels, uh, like SMS push direct mail, um, seen much success with those? Yeah. So SMS is definitely hundred percent like peanut butter and jelly. You know, SMS is one of those things we offer now for almost every client. It's not a replacement by any means. <clears throat> and it is still, I wouldn't say early, but it's definitely a huge opportunity. You know, even in my own store, when we send a, a, a text, there's a massive bump in traffic, you know, revenue, et cetera. Um, so we, we look at email support SMS as a bolt-on or add-on. You know, it's like a, yeah. 
not necessary, but we'd like to have everyone doing it. And it, it really does have some impact. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what the long-term effects are, but right now, I mean, I would not say, Hey, forget about your email. Yeah. Um, but SMS is like a no brainer. Like other stuff we haven't really offered as a service that I do is like, I use thanks.io, which is a postcard service that does thank you cards. Um, not necessarily a, what do you call game changer, but it's like a, a nice post purchase thing. So, so there isn't many other channels outside of email and SMS that I think are massive, um, you know, massive levers at this point. Yeah. I feel the same. I mean, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't ditch email for SMS, but I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. I mean, I, I get a handful. I don't get that many at the moment, actually. I get one brand who only contacts me through SMS and I just ignore it and I've ignored them for quite a while and they still do it. So they're kind of, if they're doing that on scale, they're just burning money. Um, Cause SMS yeah. is more expensive. Um, yeah. I, I can't remember what the costs are like in the U S but the U- UK, it wasn't too bad, but as soon as we started doing stuff outside the UK, costs were kind of doubling or quadrupling just for a single SMS. Um, yeah, just like with email, you want to have an engaged SMS list or you're going to, yeah. it's going to become ineffective. So it's, you know, it's definitely not the core, but it, it, it does can have, it can have kind of a crazy impact. And I've, I've never seen such, you know, not that I watch the website often, but if you do a launch or have a big promo, you send a text and if it's an effective one, you can see the traffic spike in a way that email can't. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool to see. So I think especially for product launches, SMS is like an absolute no brainer. Yeah. So do you just use it as a, a very infrequent like product launch or maybe a special promotion or something? Yeah, we do have a cadence. I think we're on like email at BombTech we send four times a week, uh, SMS we send four times a month. So it's okay. a much lower touch initiative. We are looking to get a little more, um, you know, try to be more engaging on that channel, um, but don't want to overdo it. Email, it's like you have a little more flexibility. I feel like you can send more often. And it's, text is still a little intimate. You know, it's still one of those things where it's like, it's almost, uh, what's the word? It, uh, polarizing, like or like when you get a text, it can either be really good or really bad. So yeah. it's like, so I think it's just it's a more emotional inbox, if you would. So it's like we try to we we're aware of that, and we don't send. We would never send at the frequency we send email, um, unless the audience said yes, I want that. You know, so it's that's how we look at it: is a impactful, lower frequency, um, both on channel. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's some, some companies popping up that are doing it as a conversational channel, but more like a support channel, which um, I think I, I think could be good. Um, I've not used it myself yet. Um, I think there's opportunity there. I'd, I'd quite like to see it on WhatsApp, though, or, and those sort of channels where yeah. it's doing a similar thing. But, you know, I, I don't use I don't use text. Right. I don't use the message function on my phone. I use WhatsApp for pretty much everything. WhatsApp, email. Yeah, I don't even use Facebook Messenger anymore. Um, used to do it, but everyone's moved off that now. But yeah, yeah, the conversational text stuff I think is interesting. We we've seen some people try it, have not seen anything that would say it's a big opportunity yet. Like it's we we've gone down that road, and it's just as of today doesn't seem to have the same 
impact of having a conversation via email does? Yeah, but I, I think it's more like a customer support thing. Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's a good point. Like, you know, if you, if you need to jump on live chat, you know, if you've got some questions on a website and the person's not there or it's moving a bit slowly or whatever the reason is, you kind of want to move away from that screen. You know, you might have to move away from your computer. You might want to do something else with your phone, which is difficult if you're trying to keep live chat open. So text means you can keep that conversation going at the speed that is convenient for you. And it's it's just in a it's in its own app. Um, you don't have to worry about coming back to a like a Chrome browser or whatever. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, think, I think from a as an alternative to live chat, there um there might be some yeah, good. Live chat was rough. We did we live chat was so sexy in 2016, and we we went hard at it not to derail, but we we actually did a test and found that live chat hurt conversion because there was a detraction and people would just go to chat and then they would forget what we're doing to have a conversation I wouldn't buy. Okay. So we, we actually, cause we used to be like, Oh, we got to engage, you know, the whole thesis of like my hypothesis of the thing and like, Oh, live chat's the best way to do it on the website. And I spent years of just doing live chats and we found that every time we had live chat on the website, it actually hurt conversion. Um, so I think there's the fear that I think live chat or maybe text conversation could work well if you're staffing at 24 seven, and it's on the support page. So I don't I don't like those types of functions on a product page, collection page, or something like that. So I think it's use it sparingly and wisely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you, I guess use it when, uh, when it feels like the customer needs it rather than putting it in front of them and saying, look, we're here if you want to chat. <laughs> right, and then they'll chat and they won't buy, which is, you know, and now that we're scaling much more dramatically, I couldn't imagine trying to do live chat and support that, you know, because like we used to do launches even years ago, we're much smaller and live chat would be like blown up. We'd have like four guys just going fast can and sales were not that high then. Now they're much higher. And I couldn't imagine, I think it's an unnecessary overhead needed yeah. to, to, to lose sales. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's losing your sales, it's worse, but I, I, I wonder how many times I've opened up live chat, and, and ask some questions that I could have just found on the page, but because live chat popped up, I just went, well, it's, I feel like it's easier for me to just message someone. Um, especially if, if I'm at my PC and I can have live chat on one tab, you know, if it's, um, if it's one that, you know, um, it pings the, uh, the volume, uh, you know, the, the volume icon in the tab. So you can see when someone's responded to you. Yeah. So actually I'm slowing down my purchase because, I'm doing other things, waiting for someone to respond to me to tell me the information that might be on the page anyway. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, just before we finish, then, uh, what what's the most? What do you find the most annoying thing in marketing? Annoying thing, man. There's so many. No, I, I think at a high level, as a as a brand owner myself, I think it's there's so many marketing agencies and so-called experts that are not. Um, and I think vetting who's legit is probably the most important skill as an owner. It, like there's two things. Number one, before you hire anyone, you need to know how to do it yourself. So like for me back in the day, I didn't hire someone to run Facebook ads until I did 1.5 million a year. And I, I ran ads all myself. Did I do it well? No. Uh, but I knew how to do it. So I think no matter what you do, you need to know how to do yourself enough to hire and fire. 
Um, and you gotta have a process to vet them. So I, I would say the most annoying thing is a lot of people say they're experts, post stuff on LinkedIn with with BS stats, and then when push comes to shove, if you were to hire them, they wouldn't know what to do. So it's a it makes it difficult, I think, as a brand owner to want to hire an agency and also as an agency owner to cut through the noise, be like, well, we're actually legit versus these other companies that are not. So that that is overall. Yeah. Uh, I think it's tough on both sides because of that. That barrier to entry to become a marketing agency is low. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. Definitely something to consider. And I've I've been burnt by agencies before when I was in house. Um, the, the thing that bothered me was uh, signing on with an agency and you know having having a chat with the senior people, and then the person who's actually working on your account has like eighteen months experience. Yeah. Um, and. And what I've actually found also, also in-house as well, though, is a lot of people tended to be platform experts, but not marketing experts. So they would know how to use the platform, how to set up ads, how to create audiences and things. But they didn't really understand why people respond to certain messaging and right, right. really how to, to, to get them tickets. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of one of our advantages is that my partner, Chris, worked side by side with me for like four years at Bontech. So he was inside Econ Brand. So now to go to the agency side, like I think we've got a more intimate understanding of what Econ Brand goes through, which is which is just our angle, um, because it's hard to know the full picture if you're just doing a specific task, right? Um, so I think being siloed has some advantages with efficiencies, but not knowing the full picture, like why, can be a challenge for sure. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so just finally, then, uh, is there anything else you're curious about? at the moment, like non-email or even non-marketing? Am I curious about? Uh, I, I'm spending a lot of time on LTV, you know, lifetime value, and just understanding why my customers are buying. And if there's anything else we can do to increase repeat order rate, lifetime value. So it's more of like retention side, which is everyone's talking about it now. Uh, mostly because of the Facebook iOS 14 stuff. So that that's just something that we've been working on for years, but more of getting data behind like, all right, if we're making this video, you know, thank you video or this effort, does it have an impact on repeat order rate? And then pricing, we just started working with these guys at price stack. Um, didn't end up using what they suggested just for a couple of reasons, but like optimizing price, um, and offers is something I'm always obsessed with because that's that's one of the biggest levers, you know. But um, just overall being a better brand, and you know, for me, what does it take to get to nine figures? You know, like how how's it's a big gap. Yeah. And what's what's really the difference from doing you know thirteen to fourteen mil to doing a hundred million? You know, and I, I think trying to have bigger discussions with brands that have done it is is pretty it has been blowing, you know, shifting my mind, you know, I'm like, well, okay, you're doing 60 mil or 80 mil. What was the change there? And a lot of times it makes you realize I'm the problem. I'm the bottleneck. Yeah. Throttling some growth. And that's hard for me to understand. So I think getting out of the, out of the, out of the weeds is the only way to scale. So that, that's kind of what I'm personally focusing on on both companies. It's like, Okay, one does eight, one does seven figures. That's, and now I've talked to you know other bigger brands. It's like, wow, that's really not that good. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, always can be better, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Um, if anyone wants to have a chat or, um, or reach out to you, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah. If you're a golfer, bombtechgolf.com. If you're an e-com brand, you know, we work with, you know, uh, e-com brands doing at least a million a year, ecomgrowers.com or LinkedIn at Tyler Sullivan. Been pretty active on there. Um, so if I can add some value, I'd love to. Awesome. Cheers, Sally. All right. Well, thanks, man. A big part of Sully's email strategy involves engagement. You know, ask questions, engage with customers, have conversations with them if you can, and use the learnings you get from these conversations to improve your business. Offer content that they actually want to read. You know, Introduce new products that your customers have actually told you they want through those conversations you've had with them. As Tyler mentioned, and, and I think we've discussed a few times on the podcast before, messaging is key. It's not the design. It's not the look and feel of an email. It's the message. If you get that right, and if you can tailor that, uh, it's on an almost one-to-one basis, you'll you'll do fantastically. If you come across just salesy, sure, you'll make a bit of money, but the more the customer feels like you care about them, the more engagement you'll get, the more response you'll get, and the better you'll do in the long run. If you'd like to hear more from Sully, get over to LinkedIn and follow him there. He posts loads of great advice. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, etc., send them over to will at customersuclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Adrian Savage joining me. We're going to be talking about email again, but this time we're going to be looking at deliverability and the four core pillars of reaching the inbox. But until then, keep those customers clicking.